Make sure all seats are in the upright position and trays are put away before we take off. Welcome to episode 44 of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Today is Friday, October 16th, and we have a very special guest on today's podcast, Brad Grady. He is the Senior Analyst with Northern Sky Research. Brad has been a featured presenter at our annual Global Connected Aircraft Summit several times in recent years, and he always has really good insight and a way of summarizing some of the activity that is occurring within different segments of the in-flight connectivity market space, uh, especially on the satellite side of the industry. This was a really timely interview to catch up with Brad. In April, NSR published its 10-year outlook predicting long-term viability and growth for the in-flight connectivity segment of aviation, although, of course, with some uncertainty coming in the next two to three years due to the impact of COVID-19 and how that continues to play out, especially with the impact on air travel. Uh, So I wanted to know from him what sort of factors he's noticed in the market and, you know, activity that has happened not only on the commercial airline side, but of course with business aviation and military government operators as well that would indicate that in fact, you know, this is, there is reason to be optimistic about the sort of long-term viability of in-flight connectivity. Uh, You know, even though a lot of commercial airlines aren't flying as many aircraft as they were in 2019, the ones that they are flying, you know, and the ones that did feature in-flight connectivity, certainly the internet service is not being turned off on those planes. And, um, you know, so it was really good time to catch up with Brad as we enter the, you know, as we're now in the last three months of the year here and heading into, eventually heading into 2021. We also discussed how the downturn in air travel is impacting the development of new in-flight connectivity technologies, antennas, and also what actually needs to happen for in-flight internet to become free on a more widespread basis as opposed to airlines charging passengers for access. So let's get into my discussion with Brad Grady of Northern Sky Research. So Brad, first, for those in our podcast audience that may not be familiar with you or NSR, could you first just give a brief introduction to NSR and your role with them? Uh, What has NSR been focused on regarding the mobility markets amid this global pandemic that continues to impact all industries and really all areas of life? Yeah, no, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's great to be here. Uh, So NSR, Northern Sky Research, is a satellite and space consultancy focused on satellite and space markets. That's kind of what we live and breathe every day. My role here, specifically at NSR, I'm a principal analyst focused on mobility markets. Uh, And that kind of means it's the, quote, anything that moves area. So anything from cruise ships to oil and gas rigs to airline IFC that we're talking about today kind of falls underneath my my wheelhouse. I've I've been in NSR for about 10 years. I also focus on the government and military markets. So I have a good cross-sectional understanding of kind of that, anything that moves world in the satellite sector. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's really hard to underestimate the impact COVID-19 has really had on mobility. You know, I used to joke um, 
with my brother. I was like, hey, you know, it's, it's probably a pretty good gig to focus on cruise ships, focus on airplanes, to focus on all these other things that move because, you know, ultimately those are the things that aren't going to have a fiber connection running behind them. But, you know, who knew that a, a global pandemic would really halt, uh, you know, the movement of people around the world. Um, so there's it's definitely been some challenging times. Now, you know, within all of these challenges, there's opportunities and we've seen some some really great um, or some transformative market dynamics happening. Um, you know, GoGo and, and Intelsat acquisition at, at NSR, if you've been following sort of uh, our bottom line posts and some of the presentations we've given at, at GCA and other places, we've talked about consolidation. It seems like it's happening. There might be some more room for others. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really hard to underestimate just how transformative and, and impactful this time has been. Yeah, and you know that's it's a great time to be able to catch up with you and uh, you know get some of your insight and expertise on the market. Now, uh, NSR published its ten-year out- growth outlook report, projecting a viable long-term IFC market back in April. Uh, and you know th- it's been really interesting just uh, covering the airline and you know business aviation and also military government uh, side of you know segments of aviation throughout this pandemic to see what continues. Flying uh, and obviously the you know the airlines have been the most significantly impacted. But considering you all put that report out back in April, it was a ten-year outlook. You know, um, considering it to to be kind of a positive outlook for ten years, what are some of the factors you've seen in the market since the publishing of that that tells you yet yeah, you know this is a long-term viable market? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's you know, really the, the core question of how much of what's going on today are long-term challenges versus short-term kind of speed bumps. Um, in our report, um, and, you know, my great colleague, Vivek, has forecasted, did a really good job of kind of calling some of the markets and, and outlining some of the challenges that we've already seen since we published in April. Um, so specific to that, you know, I think, like you said, business aviation seems to be doing pretty well. Um, those, you know, aircraft and, and and mission sets still seem to be going on. Government and military continues to kind of, you know, go about their business. You know, we've seen uh, some trials being announced of demoing new technology for government military airframes and integrating, you know, commercial LEO into their, you know, um, their CONOPS or concept operations. But really it gets down to what does the passenger aircraft experience look like? And there's a couple of factors going on. I think at the very high level, if, if we kind of, talk about nothing else and we end the podcast here you sort of have to like believe um, maybe believe is the wrong word because I think you know we can always draw these logical conclusions here that regardless of the number of planes regardless of the number of passengers that the demand for bandwidth has fundamentally changed all of us these days have been consuming tremendous amounts of data both at homes and probably the few times we leave the house, you know, we leave the house, you go to the grocery store, you're probably texting and interacting with folks a lot more often than you were doing beforehand um, and doing those kind of collaborative processes. So you can imagine when we step on board an aircraft, we're going to expect all that experience. So whether or not it's, you know, 100% of aircrafts come back in service and they're only operating at 50% capacity or some percentage of aircraft come back at some lower percentage, the amount of per passenger bandwidth demand is going to grow exponentially. Um, now, I think we've still seen some movement, you know, from Delta and other other carriers and, you know, Intelsat's talked about this of, you know, eventually the ISC experience is going to go, quote, free. 
Um, we don't have a timeline for when that's going to happen. It's probably safe to say that's going to happen sometime over the next 10 years. Um, that's one of the things we've kind of baked into our models. So there's this huge demand for, for connectivity, and all the signs still point that per passenger demand is going to be rising. There's still going to be some return uh, to aircraft flying experience and all that other kinds of stuff. So I think we're still, the long-term forecast, we're still optimistic. Now, the, the next couple of years, um, I think we said somewhere in the three to four-year time frame, is going to be rough. There's no doubt about it. The market right now looks you know, pretty bleak. Lots of kind of people in the airline industry have been furloughed or losing their jobs. Aircraft still remain idled, all these other things. But as we start to see, you know, markets reopening, we're already starting to hear conversations of uh, transportation corridor bubbles between countries, like the U.S. and London, one of the largest, most profitable airline routes in the world. They're trying to figure out how to get that reopened safely to hopefully continue and, and increase airline traffic there. And when that happens, you'd imagine demand's going to go through the roof again. Um, so there, there's there's kind of signs that all these things are starting to come in place. Uh, it's just going to take time to kind of flush everything out. And, you know, you mentioned a really interesting point there in that, uh, you know, obviously we are at home a lot more and consuming a lot more bandwidth, like you said. And, you know, the expectation is today, almost anywhere you go, even the, you know, uh, grocery stores and some parts do have their own uh, Wi-Fi in the store. And even, uh, you know, I'm here in Washington, D.C., and they now do have Wi-Fi on the train as well. You know, I, I've been here for years and that that wasn't the case before. Um, and But you mentioned the free model. You know, how, you know, considering there, there are a less number of aircraft flying right now, how do you how do you get to a free model when right now it is, like you said, for the next couple of years, it's going to be unpredictable. But considering right now that that just isn't the case for, you know, airlines can't pat, you know, they just cannot uh, provide that service for free right now. How do you get to a free model? Yeah, so it's, you're definitely going to have to step function there, right? You're not going to. You know, if we were talking in the like the before COVID times, you probably would have seen a big press release and everyone would have flipped a switch and all of a sudden it would be rolled out. Um, I, I think that that's probably a little crazy talk these days. Um, but what we are going to see are step functions. And we've seen some of these step functions already. You know, free texting is, you know, fairly ubiquitous. I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head. Um, but, you know, that's there, right? It's something you can get on a plane, you can you could do, you know, iMessages and Facebook and WhatsApp, all those kinds of, you know, low data rate social media platforms. And for a lot of people, that's probably good enough. Um, you know, when I was still traveling on, on an aircraft, I remember being on a, uh, an airline flight that they hadn't actually announced they had free messaging. I think it was just some random beta test. I got in and all of a sudden I was texting my wife all the way across the country. Uh, you know, couldn't do anything else, but hey, that was, that was good enough, right? I didn't have to pay for it. That was a free service. So that's going to be one way. Um, after that, then we have to start asking ourselves, is airline, are airlines going to use free uh, as a reward for loyalty? Probably. Right? We already start to see those programs as well of, um, you know, another reward for airline loyalty, especially in this time, um, might be free Wi-Fi. And then as those things start to kind of keep and continue to roll out, um, we'll see an expansion kind of continuing on. Um, now, they'll have to pay for it somehow, and I think those business models are still evolving. Um, some of it's going to be paid through operational efficiencies of, you know, getting parts prepositioned, better in-cabin experiences, probably a little bit of marketing differentiation of, you know, I think JetBlue did this, you know, fairly well when they first launched their kind of free service on Jet, uh, with Viasat on JetBlue. You know, they were kind of used that as a differentiator in the market to help capture 
um, and, and keep loyalty. So we'll start to see all those business models evolve, you know, kind of in that five to 10 year time frame. Right. And, you know, so you were a recent presenter on our Global Connected Aircraft Cabin Chats webcast. And one of the things that I'm always interested in learning from your presentation at our event is how you sort of break down the different networks and service providers into constellations, especially on the satellite side and, you know, just how they're all performing. And you sort of break it down into funding, launch contracts and end user terminals. Um, can you just give us a, a kind of a, a update on um, since since you've given that presentation, you know, what are some of the up and coming service providers? We know we know the big names like Viasat and Marsat and GoGo that, you know, we, we always cover and write about. But what are some of the up and coming service providers that are kind of, you know, have pulled the potential to uh, introduce some uh, disruption into the market? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we have to ask ourselves what um, you know, SpaceX and Kuiper and, you know, Telesat and those emerging non-geo providers are going to look like and how they're going to approach the market. Um, are they going to go through a reseller network or a service provider network, uh, or they are, are they going to go direct? Um, that's probably the, the first big question that, that folks have. Um, the next question, I think, is, is there room for smaller, you know, more regional providers or other players to kind of come into that market? Um, I don't know. Um, on the business jet world, we, we still kind of see some new entrants coming in line and um, those sorts of things and more kind of OEM manufacturers getting a little bit more aggressive in terms of the, the you know, connectivity services that they offer as part of their larger, um, you know, application suite to jet to business owners. You can imagine, you know, folks that are delivering, you know, digital cockpits and engines and all those other sorts of things are getting in this digitalization bandwagon. And some of those services involve connectivity or partnering with connectivity or, or building out those services. Um, so I think we're still, you know, we're about midway through, I think, um, in terms of all those things. I'm not quite sure we're going to see another service provider kind of emerge and become like the next go-go or something like that. I think that might be um, a little bit of crazy talk, but hey, you know, it's weird times. We might see some other part, some, some partners or some, you know, venture capitalists or or other kind of adjacent satellite vertical service providers uh, acquire maybe an aeronautical service provider to get more economies of scale. Um, you know, you can see there's still some distressed and, and challenged uh, current service providers in the aeronautical sector that you know might might have some opportunities for some consolidation and acquisition. So it might be like we we might end up being a kind of a find replace the name sort of. Uh, service provider where they're quote new but not really new, um, and we've seen tons of examples of that in the cruise ship sector, for example, um, of MTN getting kind of transitioned all the way through um, and eventually becoming, you know, a, a new partner, even though they're really kind of the same group that have been doing this stuff. And, you know, I recently interviewed uh, Bethany Davis of Gulfstream, and one of the things that was interesting to learn from her and, and, and also to get feedback from our audiences from some of the uh, presentations and events that we do about the interest from the aviation community, the flight operations community about um, uh, LEO satellites. And, and you know, if you read, you know, our sister publication via satellite, they write about that a lot. And, you know, there's always a lot of interest in that from the aviation side and the recent years and the potential that that was to bring now COVID-19 kind of just disrupted that and everything along with that but can you just give us any insight any you know any updates on you know the Leo the, the potential that that still holds yeah I mean it's 
there's there's lots of challenges with Leo, right? Um, there's lots of opportunities there. It sounds really cool. Hey, it's going to be close to the Earth. The latency is lower. You know, that might be that might have some advantages. It's the new thing. So, you know, just like iPhone 12 launched earlier this week and it announced 5G and hey, that's really cool, awesome, new. Um, you know, there'll still be lots of us that are still using like I have an iPhone 8. I, I probably won't upgrade, although, you know, AT&T has some pretty awesome deals. Um, and maybe we'll see that happening with the Leo providers, right? Uh, they come in, they come out, they're going to offer some really awesome deals. It's the same thing that kind of seeded the market with IFC in the initial phase of I'm going to offer you some, you know, subsidized equipment or some subsidized service to get you on board. And then you kind of realize, hey, there's there's some cool things and there's some not so cool things. Um, and we'll see that happen with Leo. I think the, the bigger thing um, is that it's really made space interesting again. It's really put a focus on technology, space-based solutions, and their role in this entire value chain of, you know, connectivity and operational improvements and, and all of those things. Um, you know, I, I caution to say that you know, some applications, latency doesn't really matter, you know, um, whether or not it's 25 milliseconds or 600 milliseconds, if it's going to take you four hours to get to the next place in order to get that part and the part's going to take two hours to get there, you know, that, that, that hundred millisecond or 500 millisecond difference, that doesn't really matter. Um, so it really is going to depend on what application you're really trying to enable, what ultimate customer experience you expect to provision and enable as to whether or not Leo is going to be a big deal for you. Uh, there's other technical challenges about what routes you're flying, what aircraft you're on, um, you know, whether or not, you're kind of going over the poles. Well, that probably dictates some solution versus a different solution. If you're kind of doing equatorial routes, it's a different service. If you, you know, north-south versus east-west, there's lots of kind of very important technical details that have to be well understood in, the, in the kind of doing that trade space of analysis. Yeah, and you know, another the another um, topic that you presented on on our recent Cabin Chats webcast was, and, and it was really a good summarization of the uh, use of in-flight connectivity antennas and some of the challenges associated with IFC antennas. Uh, you know, you, you broke it down into sort of multi-orbit, multi-band, network roaming ca capabilities for IFC antennas as well. Um, you know, can, can you just give us some updates on the, the use, you know, first of all, how this, you know, COVID-19's impact on, you know, the airline industry and IFC providers overall how does that impact sort of the potential for new disruptive antenna technology to be introduced? You know, does that kind of put a pause on that? Or do you think we still see some new antenna designs coming out the next few years? Yeah, no, it's, you know, another great question, Woodrow. Um, so there are a couple of things, I think, in there. Um, now, new, quote, new, I think it's, there's two different types of new. And one, I think, is, new and unannounced new, right? Like just totally out of left field. We've never heard of this and it's going to change the world kind of technologies. And those are pretty rare. Um, obviously I can't quantify that because hey, if, if I knew it, then it wouldn't be in that bucket. Um, but there's also just new to market and moving from one technology readiness level to another, to another, to another, to eventually becoming market maturity. Now, I think what's, what's going on is all of the technology, all of the antennas that are in the development pipeline that we kind of know about and are working towards, you know, moving towards beta testing and being, you know, flyable, those are still continuing. Um, and you can kind of check out all of the, all the press releases, I think in, 
um, you know, your guys' publications and, and conversations there to find out who those players are. Um, but they're still progressing. Now, the interesting thing about COVID-19 is there was always, before COVID-19, there was this weird time period when we were talking to, you know, airline customers and governments and cruise ships and all the end user advisory that we do at NSR. And, you know, you, you kind of have to walk them through, hey, there's this weird time period where you kind of reach the end-ish of your current contract. And we know there's going to be some new transformative technologies that are happening in kind of that three to five-year time frame. Um, we're not quite sure what exactly it's going to be, but they're all kind of coalescing around that, you know. So you have to have this kind of step gap filler, and you can do it one or two ways. You can kind of invest in some interim technology and then kind of miss out on the next generation. But hey, when you go and you're adopting your next contract, you know, after in another three to five years, it would be a couple of years after the launch of these new services. So hopefully they'd reach mature, better maturity and they'd be well understood in the market. And you can kind of continue to capture that, that best mature technology innovation roadmap, right? You know, it's, this is like, you don't necessarily buy the first generation of a car. Maybe you buy the, the second or third generation of the car um, kind of adoption plan. But COVID-19 has pushed back some of those plans because there's fewer passengers playing, there's fewer passengers flying, fewer aircraft flying, the network demand is a little bit less. So the strain on onboard equipment is a little bit lower um, than what we saw before, where, you know, before the, the modems on board the aircraft were kind of reaching saturation and those needed to get changed out. And when you had to change the modems out, you had to talk about the whole technology stack behind that. Um, there's a little bit more life in that technology stack now that there's not as much demand on board. So they can kind of continue on with their current existing plans, maybe making minor interim changes. And then we're all going to be in this world where hopefully there's a lot more activity, there's a lot more traveling, um, the world is kind of safer, uh, and we have all this new great technology to leverage. Um, so all that, all those technologies are continuing to be developed. Um, maybe they're a couple of months behind, but because they weren't kind of in that manufacturing stage, they were all sort of working remotely and and doing all those things, they've been deemed critical business ventures because some of them are, are still working on government projects. So they've been able to continue to work in person and continue on delivering against their milestones. Um, we might be in a better place um, where everyone's looking to adopt new technology and there's actually new technology to adopt rather than trying to find some kind of interim solution. But I think this gets to that next question of what does the future of onboard IFC look like from an equipment perspective? Um, and I think you had, you know, you had um, Bill, I don't know if you or, or um, you know, some of your colleagues at ISF had Bill from ThinkCom on, you know, and I think he, he brought up some very good points. Um, and we've, we've had conversations, I think some questions on our uh, GCA about whether or not you need multi-orbit, whether or not you need multi-band. Um, and it all gets down to the efficiency. Um, and I'd like to, I'll throw another asterisk down, and that efficiency is all about a perspective, right? It's efficiency of what? Spectral efficiency um, probably dictates some solution. Um, you know, spectral efficiency probably dictates some solution. Economic efficiency probably dictates some solution. Um, you know, total cost of ownership probably dictates another um, solution. So I think the end goal of all of this onboard equipment should be ultimate flexibility. So trying to determine, you know, the best orbit, the best frequency, the best place for that aircraft. And you kind of reduce down and optimize against what your best assumptions are for the mission of that aircraft versus the, the eventual flexibility that's required from the um, airline operator. 
So within all of that trade space, there's lots of ways to optimize that equation. Um, but you know, the, I think the future really is towards these very flexible, complex antennas that enable best best path, best best route optimization uh, from an end user perspective. Right. And, you know, th that's a really good way to sort of close out. But before I let you go, Brad, I have to ask for the remaining sort of three months of the year going into 2021, what are some of the main, you know, just on the commercial airline side, at least of, of IFC, what are some of the main factors in the market you'll be paying attention to? So I think the, the very first factor is what is the development of these airline routes, of these, you know, travel bubbles so to say, especially like the U.S. and the U.K., um, how that goes about it, how those things develop, what that looks like. Um, if those are successful, that, that may potentially accelerate some recovery, um, et cetera. The other factor that we're looking at is what's the, the makeup of, air, of airframes that are being brought back. Um, there's lots of talk out in the market, and I think justifiably so, that older airframes probably won't be brought back, um, that the overall age of of the airline fleet is going to become a lot newer. Um, newer aircraft needs new technology, needs some of these roadnecks and bottlenecks of modem infrastructure that we're kind of running up against that would have put a cap on the total deliverable megabits per second per aircraft. Um, might not be the same limiting factor going forward. Um, so again, enable that more and more applications at better and better price points delivered to the passenger. Um, so that'll be another factor we look at. Um, then I think the last factor is, is really just, you know, um, kind of a sentiment analysis of what people feel. Um, you know, I'm based here in Washington, D.C., up in Maryland. Um, it's a very different kind of look at the world when I when I talk to my colleagues that are based in India, that are based in Spain, that are based in the Philippines, uh, conversations with people throughout Europe and France and Brussels and Luxembourg and, you know, South America. Um, so just kind of talking to all those people and understanding what they feel like and how willing they are to travel and, you know, reading and kind of getting that sense. Um, you know, the, the one thing that I kind of always take back with, and I, I was talking with the airline service provider, um, and, you know, in the very beginning of this thing, maybe not the very beginning, but about halfway, they said something I think very insightful. And they go, uh, you know, this video conferencing and remote working is, is working a little too well. Um, you know, we're all getting a really comfortable with it. It's not like the 90s or the two, early 2000s where we had this work from home push like we have a lot more bandwidth deployed. We all have video cameras deployed in almost all of our devices. We're all getting a lot more familiar with this technology. And what does that really mean for like the core business traveler that needs to get on the get on a plane and go to a meeting? Um, and what does that mean? You know, what does that mean for teams that kind of work remotely? Are they more incentivized? What about conferences? You know, there's lots of you know conferences that aren't happening right now. Are virtual conferences still going to be a thing going forward? Um, and depending on how all of that evolves and all of that happens, but some of it will come back. Um, there'll definitely be some leisure travel. We're all stir crazy. You know, I'd, I'd really like to kind of get out and about and go flying again. Um, so, you know, all of that stuff, I think, is going to combine together over the next three to six months um, to really start to shape that outlook. But, you know, I think we can all bet on more bandwidth per passenger. Um, that's really going to start driving the demand. New technology is coming online. It's probably better timed. Um, with contract renewals and a newer aircraft fleet that enables better and newer insertion of technology uh, to kind of take advantage of these rapid changes that are happening in orbit. Some really good factors to be paying attention to. Brad Grady of NSR, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Woodrow.
So that brings us to the end of this episode. As always, please subscribe to us on Apple's podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. <laughs>